Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of September 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're joined by Alex Thompson, bringing us Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Mike, we're in extraordinary times. Uh, absolutely. So uh, everybody would be glad to know that the traffic light system is back, or at least the red, orange, yellow, and two shades of green. Uh, DEFCON system is back. We've moved from level three to level four, uh, which means we're back into lockdown. Uh, and uh, well, what can we say, Brian? Um, it's pathetic, but let's uh, let's annoy everybody by putting a little bit of uh, Boris's statement to the nation. Uh, let's just see how he opened that. To achieve what we must, I want to talk to you directly tonight about the choices that we face, none of them easy, and why we must take action now. I know that we can succeed because we have succeeded before. So that's that's pretty pretty pathetic. Uh, but let's 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 look at what he to achieve what we sorry what he went on to say. Uh, when the sickness took hold in this country in March, we pulled together with a spirit of national sacrifice and community. Uh, did you do that? That's an extraordinary uh, phrase there, Mike. What I pick up from that straight away is that the nation is indeed being sacrificed. Uh, that's indeed. what he's talking about. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, he went on to say, we followed the guidance to the letter. Uh, we stayed at home. We protected the NHS and we saved thousands of lives. Well, did we? Did we save thousands of lives? Because we've shown this many times, but the point is still valid. The excess mortality that uh, began pretty much at the beginning of lockdown uh, and ended, well, pretty much when we came out of lockdown. But nonetheless, this virus had apparently been attacking us from December, uh, but we didn't see any excess mortality until the effects of lockdown began to be felt. Um, and so did uh, Boris's strategy uh, help save lives? Maybe a few, but it caused tens of thousands of deaths, which were unnecessary, particularly in care homes and people at home not able to go and get support from the NHS for normal day-to-day -day illnesses. Yeah, Mike, I've been hearing over the last couple of days that people are saying that we should end all this. And the significance is the end is that what we actually need is an emergency national debate to dis discuss what has actually taken place. Tens of thousands, tens of thousands of elderly people died unnecessarily in those care homes. They're still locked up, many of them unable to see loved ones. So who's running the country? We don't know the strategy. We do know that's to clearly destroy the to destroy UK. Uh, absolutely. So uh, he went on uh, to say this. Uh, and for months, with those disciplines of social distancing, we have kept the virus at bay. Mm, OK, uh, the virus has started to spread again. So it clearly didn't work uh, in an ex exponential way, is it? Uh, infections are up. Hospital admissions are climbing. So, well, let's just look, first of all, at the hospital admissions. So this is today's uh, hospital admissions graph from the uh, UK government coronavirus dashboard. Uh, and, well, I'm not sure whether you can see that rising trend there, Brian, right at the end on the right-hand side. Uh, it's, it's really impressive. Well, 
GCO level, A-level maths, whatever it is, seems to indicate to me that that is a declining graph, however you look at it. Uh, absolutely. So let's just put the, the line on. And of course, his argument is we've got to protect the NHS. Forget about people. We've got to protect the NHS. But if you put a, a, a line across there, the red line on the graph at the moment, uh, you can see that at the peak in April, the NHS was not overwhelmed. There were a couple of places, apparently, around the country where there was more traffic uh, than others, uh, but the NHS at no point was overwhelmed. The Nightingale hospitals never needed to be used. Um, and yet we are now locking the country down again on the basis of hospitalizations, um, which are at a level that is absolutely normal uh, on any year um, and uh, massively below the levels that we saw in April when the NHS was not overwhelmed. So why are we locking down the country again? Well, it's being done on a lie. We're locking down the country because while the population is locked down, the rest of our democracy can be transformed. And more and more people are talking about Boris Johnson's fascist state. And I think that's pretty accurate, Mike. OK, let's move on. Uh, he said uh, we can see what's happening in France and Spain. Uh, and we know, alas, that this virus is no less fatal than it was in the spring. OK, so we're looking at we're comparing ourselves with France and Spain. We're not talking about Sweden. Uh, and we know, alas, that this virus is no less fatal than it was in the spring. Well, this doesn't appear to be the case. Uh, so let's uh, look again at the statistics. Uh, so here are the daily new cases in the United Kingdom. Uh, and we can see that, uh, well, the, it looks like 500,000 daily new cases uh, yesterday. Um, and uh, well, that compares very well with the number of new cases in April. Um, so but we're not seeing the hospitalizations. So uh, we're not seeing the deaths. So is the virus as deadly now as it was in April? Where's the evidence for that? If we look at Sweden, uh, we see clearly uh, that uh, they had many more cases, although that you've got to uh, appreciate that the, the scale on the left hand side is somewhat different. So we're looking at much fewer cases here. Um, but the scale, but clearly Sweden not having this uptick in cases uh, they're also not having an uptick in deaths or hospitalizations. So the graphs in Sweden look very, quite similar to those in the UK, but we're locking down and they're not. So uh, just to show the, the death statistics now for the UK, again, very similar to the numbers of, you know, to the trend in terms of hospitalizations. Uh, very, very few people actually passing away uh, with an attribution of COVID-19, whether they actually died of COVID-19 or not. Um, and if we uh, look at uh, what the Swedish press is saying here with regard to testing, uh, Sweden just met its, its coronavirus testing target for the first time, over 100,000 tests uh, a, a week and uh, around 1,300 people of those tested positive for coronavirus in Sweden last week. The share of positive, positive tests fell to 1.2%. Uh, but that's a very interesting statistic because uh, the specificity of, of most of these PCR tests that are being used is around 1%, uh, which means that that's a false positive rate of 1%. Uh, they, their positive testing in Sweden fell to 1.2%. That, If you take the false positive rate of, of the PCR test into account here, that's pretty much saying that Sweden actually doesn't have the virus anymore. So the non-lockdown country doesn't have it. The lockdown country, UK, France, Spain, uh, they seem to have a second wave coming. 
except it's not really a second wave. It's only an appearance of a second wave because of the types of testing that's being done. Yeah, Mike, you've demonstrated there very clearly that Boris Johnson is either a completely ignorant buffoon. I have never believed that. I believe that this man is telling what is blatant lies to the British public. But of course, has he produced that material himself? No, he's got a group of people over his shoulder who are directing him to come out with this policy. The question is, who are these people? Perhaps we should bring Alex in just to comment on the initial analysis of the statistics. Well, I think that uh, our recent appearance, that's David Scott's and my appearance with uh, John Cullen on Jason Goodman's YouTube channel covered the statistical deceit in some detail. Note particularly, you can go to Northern Exposure, David Scott's channel as well to find a mirror of it or mine called Alex Thompson. Um, you will find particularly John Cullen predicting that Spanish influenza is going to be talked about more because he says that he can see that the bulk of the deaths attributed to COVID-19 appear much more to tally with influenza deaths. Uh, I noticed that uh, somebody wrote to, I think it's the Daily Telegraph from Manchester, Chris Kirk Blythe, uh, who, who uh, is taking the rip out of what's going on with the statistics. He says to the editor, Sir, the chief scientific advisor to the government, Sir Patrick Vallance, tells us the epidemic is doubling every seven days. Thus, he calculates somewhat frighteningly that we will have 50,000 new infections a day by mid-October and 200 deaths a day a couple of weeks later. New paragraph. Applying exactly the same method, the entire population will have had COVID-19 and 11.5 million of us will be dead before Christmas Day. Shortly after New Year's Day, all human life in the United Kingdom will have ended. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, there's a lot uh, of truth in that, isn't there, about lies, damn lies and statistics. Yeah, but we've, we've reached a unique point where the Prime Minister of uh, Britain is simply prepared to get in front of the cameras and lie on this scale, close the country down, lock people in their homes and destroy the economy and businesses. There is something else at work here. Uh, absolutely. So let's, uh, sorry, let's move on to, uh, let's move on to Boris again. Uh, so today I set out a package of tougher measures in England. Um, so let's just look at these uh, tougher measures. Uh, so lockdown 2.0, I'm sure there'll be a 2.1, but uh, let's stick with 2.0. Uh, early closing for pubs and bars, so you'll be thrown out at 10 p.m. Uh, table service only. Uh, closing businesses that are not COVID secure, so they're, gonna, they're taking upon themselves the power to go walk into uh, any business that is not considered COVID secure and tell them to stop uh, operating. Uh, expanding the use of face coverings. So uh, shop workers will now have to wear face coverings uh, uh, while they're working on the shop floor. Um, and uh, well, I guess it's gonna be harder for um, general public as well. Uh, new fines for those that fail to comply. Uh, office workers to work from home if they can. Uh, and enforcing the rule of six indoors and outdoors. Um, so Boris said, um, I uh, appreciate uh, sorry, I know that this approach, robust but proportionate, already carries the support of all the main parties in Parliament. And of course, this is one of the biggest problems that we have here, Brian. There is no opposition at the moment. There's no opposition. There's no dialogue whatsoever, although I believe that the 1922 committee has started a little bit of a backlash about what Boris Johnson is doing. But the Labour Party 
under Keir Starmer clearly doesn't exist anymore because it simply does whatever the Tory party says it should do, which is quite a remarkable situation. Uh, absolutely. And if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, do have a look for uh, Richard Drax's comments. Uh, it's all doing the rounds of social media at the moment. I think it was on ITV News. And he's very clear that he's in complete opposition to what Boris is doing. So there is a growing opposition within the Tory party. The question is whether it's uh, sufficient to, to put a, a stop to this. Well, could, just to uh, cut in there, Mike, of course, um, what's needed is for people to support and reinforce any politician who is showing the signs of having the courage to stand up and challenge the government as, as to what's going on. So don't brand them all as lost cause. Any MP that shows they've got a spark of initiative to stand up, we should be seeing the public getting behind those people and assisting them. OK, now we get to some really egregious lies here. And for the suggestion that we should simply lock up the elderly and vulnerable with all the suffering that would entail. I mean, this I find really difficult to offensive. swallow uh, and offensive, Brian, as you, because as you said on Monday's programme, the, the elderly are already locked up. They are absolutely locked up in care homes. They cannot be visited by their uh, loved ones. Uh, people well, no hugging, no touching. So you've got you've got people having their ninety fifth birthday, and the family's not allowed to go and give them a give them a hug. So this this is horrific psychological abuse if it isn't physical abuse. Right, but uh, in fact, and but Boris's statement also psychological abuse of the, uh, the the inhabitants of this country because he's simply reversing reality and trying to uh, tell people that. Uh, the elderly aren't currently locked up. Well, let's go on because it gets even worse. He had the gall to say this. If we let this virus get out of control now, it would mean that our NHS had no space once again. It had plenty of space in April and in May and in June. So this is another lie from Boris Johnson and it gets worse. Uh, to deal with cancer patients and millions of other non-COVID medical needs. It is absolutely established now that the NHS was shut down for anybody with non-COVID medical needs, particularly cancer, cancer patients. Even the BBC has had to report it. Cancer Task Force aims to reduce patient backlog. They haven't a chance of reducing the patient backlog. It's far too big, uh, and they're going to end up in a whole new backlog this coming winter. Uh, here's the Financial Times. NHS patient backlog threatens to undermine return to pre pandemic service. There is no return to the pre-pandemic service. Boris Johnson lied in that statement that he just made. Uh, protecting the NHS from COVID has created time, log, time bomb backlog for cancer treatment, medics fear, reports Telegraph. And of course, it's not just cancer treatment. It's also accident and emergency. So nursing times here. England launches trial of A&E appointment system. This is already the situation in Northern Ireland. It is going to be rolled out. You have to make an appointment. You have to know when you're going to break your leg. You have to know when you're going to have a heart attack. You have to know when you're going to have a stroke. So you can phone ahead, make an appointment with A&E uh, because you won't get in otherwise unless you're in the back of an ambulance. So the whole point here, Brian, is that the so-called golden hour uh, for treatment, for emergency treatment, has gone out the window. And Boris Johnson is simply lying if he suggests that the NHS is going to uh, continue to, is going to, uh, get back to the point of providing non-COVID medical uh, care. Correct, Mike. And we're being contacted by a lot of people in the NHS telling us how the A&E units are now disappearing from hospitals. It's particularly bad in 
uh, Cornwall as just one example. So the A&E unit of a hospital uh, uh, being closed, people who go to the hospital believing that there's an A&E unit there are being directed to travel many miles, 80, 90 miles to another hospital in order to have their emergency dealt with. So what we're seeing is the NHS dismantled and this constant lie that the NHS was at full capacity while COVID was on. All of the NHS people who spoke to the UK column said were in empty wards and patients who were actually in some of those wards were also saying we're two or three of us in one ward and next door to us the wards were closed. Mm. So this is lie upon lie upon lie to the British public whilst something very, very dark and sinister is happening behind the scenes. Uh, and it goes on. Uh, he went on to say this. Uh, and if we were, or, sorry, if we were forced into a new national lockdown, it would threaten once again the education of our children. Another lie, because the number of people I know, including personal relatives, uh, who have children at school, uh, whose children have already been sent home to self-isolate because of an, apparently a positive test, some were related to the particular bubble that they were in. And so this is happening right across schools, right across the country. The education of our children is being destroyed still and any suggestion that there is a future threat to the education of our children is another lie from Mr Johnson. Education being destroyed for the children, Mike, but also the mental health of children is now being impacted by these lockdown and face wearing masks. And yesterday I was able to talk to a gentleman who's been working extremely hard trying to expose the dangers of, of uh, bullying and problems with mental health um, of children at schools. All of the lockdown and the mask process has been making this worse. So who, who is actually, who is pulling the strings of this puppet, Boris Johnson? Well, uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, so let's uh, keep going. Uh, and as for that minority who may continue to flout the rules, we will enforce those rules with tougher penalties and fines of up to 10,000 pounds. Uh, he said we will put more police on the streets and use the army to backfill if necessary. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, of course, uh, it's Operation Temperer. Now, this was, uh, if you remember, uh, the plan to deploy troops to support and free up police officers. This is how it was described at the time uh, in key locations following a major terrorist attack or major public disorder. So the first time it was used was in 2017 after the uh, Manchester Arena bombing. And as you can see there, a young squaddy protecting 10 Dining Street. Are we going to see the army protecting down 10 Dining Street again? Well, if Boris Johnson continues to lie like this, then I would imagine that might be needed because more and more people are going to start getting pretty upset about it. But here's uh, another example of temper and action with uh, the military and the police uh, side by side outside MOD Abbey Wood with their guns. Now, uh, this, of course, is fusion doctrine in action. Um, Operation Temper provides for 5,100 service people uh, from all three services to be, de to, to be deployed to augment armed police officers engaged in protective security duties. Uh, and this is supposedly got to free up, um, free up uh, constables to, to walk around and make sure that uh, they're handing out lots of fines to people that aren't wearing masks uh, and so on. But what this is really about, Brian, is softening up uh, the population to the idea of 
the army and the police working together yeah. because this is fusion doctrine uh, and they have been you know not just them but not just our government i mean but but eu government as well nato as well talking about for the last five years talking about the need to merge policing and and military uh, operations and alex uh, this is a pretty dangerous trend it's a trend that led to a civil war, in fact, a series of civil wars in the 17th century, not taught in schools anymore, of course, <clears throat> at the end of which the Bill of Rights for England and the Claim of Right for Scotland both made a constitutional point of it, a prerequisite for swearing in the monarch, that the crown would no longer raise a standing army in time of peace, which is why we have had for many centuries now an armed forces bill every year proposed by Her Majesty's government uh, in order for the practice of the armed forces to be re-licensed by the people to the Crown. Now, in recent years, that has become a once per parliamentary term affair, so a quinquennial rather than an annual one. However, EU military unification, unlike NATO membership, presumes that Britain has standing commitments, not just rolling exercise battalions, but standing military commitments, which cut clean across that and require the Napoleonic concept of a standing army and indeed police that are in, incontrovertibly part of the government, not of the people. In other words, the crown, as it were, rather than the people, but in continental parlance. That is, I think, at the root of what's being foisted on us now. In the US, of course, this uh, breach, uh, this is called a breach of posse comitatus, the constitutional prohibition on using the military at home, which is why the National Guards in the States exist to get around that. Uh, but it seems that this is another part of the Bill of Rights that's become toilet paper now. Uh, absolutely. Um, Alex, amazingly serious issues. And uh, once again, you hit the nail on the heads there. I just picked up on um, a report from The Economist. But before I bring it up on screen, let's just remind viewers that back on the 14th of September, I think you covered this one, actually, Mike, you were talking about Lieutenant General Jim Hockenhull, who's the boss of Defence Intelligence and the Fusion Centre. And he said, whilst conventional threats remain, we've seen our adversaries invest in artificial intelligence, machine learning and other groundbreaking technologies. So the public is constantly being spun on to the fact there's this mysterious unseen enemy out there. But don't worry, because we're transforming the military in order to deal with it. And we're going to be fighting a cyber battle with our artificial intelligence. Well, the intelligence that's certainly artificial is coming, I think, from Lieutenant General Hockenhull. But let's look at this um, Economist uh, headline here, truly extraordinary. This is from a couple of days ago, 15th of, September, 15th of September, Britain's armed forces get ready for a revolution. The emphasis on threats short of open warfare and the technological prowess to combat them. And what was interesting is the article um, gave a glimpse inside RAF Witten, uh, where it says, uh, there's a cavernous space which resembles a newsroom. I thought that was an interesting comparison, but the stories traded here are heavily classified. The Defence Intelligence Fusion Centre is the world's only hub where personnel from across the Five Eyes Alliance, comprising America, Australia, Britain, Canada and New Zealand, keep a watch on the world's hotspots. The logo of GCHQ, Britain's Signals Intelligence Agency, hangs above one desk, that of America's Defence Intelligence Agency above the other. In a crisis, 1,200 people could fit around the open-plan desk. During a pandemic, things are roomier. So this 
inference for me is that this cavernous room at RAF Witten is being used in some way to help the control of COVID-19 in UK. So if we're correct in that assumption and you put that and the police and the military working together, we've got something very, very dangerous emerging in UK day by day. But let's bring the general back on screen. What he didn't say, but I'm going to say, so these are my words, not his, but he hasn't mentioned that the Britain's armed forces have been deliberately driven to breaking point. We know because we're getting reports coming into us about this that force levels are inadequate for the job. We're incapable of a nation, as a nation state of fighting a major conflict. Equipment across all three services is being cut and that which is in service is in a poor state. There's no question this is going on. The Royal Navy still having major problems even getting ships to sea. Bases have been closed and troops sent home due to COVID. Now that statement we know to be fact, virtually unreported in mainstream meeting in, in media in UK. So British troops simply sent home because of the COVID scare, just astonishing. Uh, we're more interested in diversity in the LGBT issue than we are in fighting efficiency, that's quite clear. We're alienating and victimising our veterans. We know why they're doing this, because they're very worried that the millions of veterans could actually get together and challenge this unlawful action by the government. We're using British servicemen and women to spy on the British public via 77 Brigade. And, and essentially, we've now got the military acting as enforcers over COVID-19 for what is clearly a fascist government. And Boris Johnson's words, I think, are just reinforcing uh, the state that this nation is being transformed very gently, very slowly, but it's happening into a fascist state. Uh, but at the very end, uh, it, well, he gives himself away. Never in our history has our collective destiny and our collective health depended so completely on our individual behavior. And Brian, that's what this is really about. Um, so just in case people are, didn't get enough of Boris, let's just listen to his closing words here. There are unquestionably difficult months to come and the fight against COVID is by no means over. And I have no doubt, however, that there are great days ahead. But now is the time for us all to summon the, the discipline and the resolve and the spirit of togetherness that will carry us through. So the implication is that he's trying to persuade us all that he's absolutely passionate about, about uh, sorting this all out and, uh, and making sure that nobody is uh, killed or injured this year as a result of this virus. Well, look, I think we've got to hold Boris to account now. He is saying that as a result of these uh, these measures that he's taking, that people are not going to die in hospitals in the numbers that we saw uh, in, uh, in April. Uh, and uh, so we're not going to see any lockdown deaths this year, uh, this, this winter. Um, and uh, every question, every statement that he makes now has to be absolutely challenged has to be fact-checked uh, and uh, he has to be asked questions every time he's caught in a lie. Yeah, it's got to be brought to account. Uh, right, well, let's put some good news on the end of that because one of the, one of the professional groups we've been very, very interested in for some time 
psychiatrists, psychologists and people trained in NLP because we've been waiting and waiting to see when those professional people will pick up on the fact that uh, Boris Johnson and his fascist government are using applied behavioural psychology in order to interfere with the minds and the cognitive processes of the British general public. So we had this email, let's take you through it. And I think it's very, very clever because it's saying, does anyone actually know what the current lockdown laws are? They're not what we think they are. How is anybody supposed to know what randomly changed laws in inverted commas actually are? It's getting like parking. We need a law with adequate signage and no penalty is applicable. Now, this is written in a particular style that you know, just stay with it. If you have no iPhone, no computer and the so-called national news is confused and confusing, then we have confusion. And that's what we're seeing, Mike. Ideal for post-hypnotic suggestions. Post-hypnotic suggestions are most effective given before the trance is induced. Just to be clear, I am a trainer in NLP hypnosis for more than 20 plus years. And these people who are using these skills technologies are and must be licensed and bound in law uh, to do with licensing agreements stating they must use the utmost integrity to protect others and themselves and are therefore criminally culpable for the damages they do to others. They must have the people person's consent for them to apply psych psychological technologies. Now, what the person is getting at here is uh, mind space and the government's behavioral insights team where we've got a government-backed program to interfere with the minds of the nation and the mind space document at the bottom of page 66 we keep talking about this boasts that the british government can change the way people think and behave and we will not even know and what this nlp trainer is pointing out to us that for people to do that particularly when it's malevolent action without our knowledge, they should be licensed and they should be um, uh, capable of being brought to court if they are damaging people and damaging their mental health. So let's go on through. It says, it appears at least linguistically that the powers at work are treating the humans as the novel virus, supports, uh, excuse me, suppressing movement, limiting contact, stopping the ability to communicate freely, a large amount of communication is visual when speaking. So masks remove a large part of the mirror learning nervous system reaction essential to empathy. If we see a face, we automatically try on that expression to empathetically understand another. It would appear the powers at work of which we are not aware, to, sorry, do not want people to talk to each other. And it ends with this. We now have the minds police hidden in government. How many people, free men and women, need to say no before we're free to have democracy? Freedom for everyone or freedom for no one. We are not the pandemic. The government and powers that rule the illness of perverse incentive, monetary gain and power, mad psychopaths, sociopaths, uh, they're running the show. And the person ends by saying martial law is now happening. Now we've taken that on face value, but we've had a lot of other material from trained psychologists in particular. We're now getting people trained in NLP, realizing it's being used as a malicious weapon by the British government on its own people. Mm. 
Um, we've got an interesting uh, video clip here. Is this? Yeah, uh, so this is from Channel 4 News. Um, do you yes. remember who they're speaking to? Uh, I, I'm afraid I don't because we only got this at short notice before the news, but we are just intrigued by the exchange and I'm sure our viewers will tell us who is on both sides of this little exchange. Let's have a look. You seem to argue that there was a real threat of fascism, not exactly as it was in the 20th century, but, but in, you know, in a different form with echoes and, and resonance. I mean, could you just explain how you think that really is possible? Because a lot of people find that mere proposition offensive. I, I, think, I think the moment where we, we move immediately to emotions like offense is the moment where democracy really is in trouble. So that was Christian Guru Murthy asking the questions there. Yes, thank you. And we had an, uh, an American professor uh, talking about his concerns about the slide into a fascist state. Now, we want to directly comment on, on the way that uh, the channel handled that interview because immediately the attack was on that professor by saying even to talk about uh, mention of uh, fascism is going to be offensive to some people. So that was the attack straight in. But what a way that the counter came back with the explanation, well, if, if people are upset by the mention of democracy, you can be sure that we are sliding into a democratic state. A fascist state. Uh, sorry, it's a fascist state. So um, interesting that uh, we're starting to see um, qualified people come up with this warning. But once again, we've got these sort of vicious approaches by the interviewers trying to undermine them on the main, so-called mainstream media. Uh, and, and Alex, uh, Channel 4 News is particularly good at attempting to undermine uh, professionals in this way. They haven't had the best success in the past. Well, Channel 4 News, uh, when I was growing up, was kind of... Uh, uh, positively anti-establishment, you know, a force for good questioning the establishment, particularly when it was a conservative facing establishment, uh, because it obviously has sympathies with Labour. Um, then, of course, that became a meme because Kathy Newman a couple of years ago had that uh, awful uh, car crash of an interview with Jordan Peterson, which got so many memes spun out of it. But Kathy Newman herself appears from her tweets of yesterday to have had a long, dark night of the soul. Uh, because she was telling people more or less that they had uh, decided to to fight to the last, bringing out uh, an, an uh, anti-establishment line uh, on the current measures, uh, which is a complete turnaround for them. Uh, the professor, by the way, is no mean professor. He's Timothy Snyder, that's Snyder with a Y, who's the professor of history at Yale. So one of the, the, the absolute cream of the crop in historians. And he had particular uh, skills in looking at the interwar period and how what's now called authoritarian governments, um, used certain techniques such as brainwash people early and often, and how that, that's, that is, is incontrovertibly now being applied in the West under this nudge, or as Boris Johnson calls it, our individual behaviour, which our collectivist future depends on. Uh, well, speaking of authoritarian regimes and nudging, uh, the Scottish government has uh, uh, really pulled off a blinder with, uh, with their latest little piece of video propaganda on this. It, I, I just thought it was unbelievably disgraceful. It's uh, suggesting that old people are dirty. I know that we'll be told, oh no, this is to shock you for your own good so that you don't kill your grandparents. But the Scottish government has tweeted out this video clip that people can easily find, 
catching up with friends or family this weekend don't pass coronavirus on to those you love so a gentleman visits his daughter and grandchild i think it is in the in the in the clip and they put the kettle on for him and we see this uh, magically visible uh, lurgy spreading from the uh, the middle-aged daughter's face to the kettle and then onto the, the 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 grandfather's face where presumably he'll then expire of the lurgy really very nasty stuff which uh, i think is telling us a lot as people have including peter hitchens who's retweeted it say tells us about the mindset of those who control us we are a population we're not individuals we're not being ruled for our own good uh, but as a herd uh, yeah yes indeed right uh, and it is applied psychology that's being all of yes. these images yes. and the way it's uh, portrayed this is the behavioral insights team using applied psychology to carry out a vicious political campaign against the people of UK. Um, okay, let's move on. If you like what the UK Column does, you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community uh, where there are options to help us out there. Uh, where's that take us, Brian? Well, I think we should say that uh, we had a very busy preparation to the news today because we had some kind visitors turn up at the office and a generous donation made and so we'd like to say once again thank you to everybody that's uh, subscribing and donating to the uk column absolutely where it takes us is the fact that people are really trying very hard now to fight what the government is doing and i felt it only fair to respond to this email that uh, came in uh, dear brian i attended the protest on saturday the 19th in trafalgar square i feel you got it wrong accusing the protesters of aggravating the police perhaps you were uh, viewing edited videos let me assure you the protests were perfect protestors were perfectly behaved their ages ranged from very young to very elderly the police started to charge towards the stage as they wanted to remove the speakers um, let's uh, carry on through here people did yell abusive language at the police as they tried to storm the crowd i admit but please understand it was the police who were causing the aggravation and not and not content to stop charging the crowd they kept on doing it later in the day we noticed the arrival of riot police fully equipped there was a helicopter in the sky from near on the start of the protest when i left there at 4 30 pm the riot police charged forward i did notice a small scuffle but from where i was standing virtually beside them all i could see uh, what I could see was the police who were doing the attacking. We were directed to sit down by people in charge in the protest, which we did. I must stress this process, protest was on our side at least 99% peaceful. You must appreciate that we had the, had the police succeeded in getting to the stage, there would have been no speeches. The event would, would have been closed down with their removal. And uh, just carry on to the, I've had to edit some of this because it was very long, but I've got the bulk of it. So Brian, to conclude, your words on the protest disappointed me yesterday. I would hope you can convey on Wednesday's edition that the protest was peaceful. There certainly should never have, uh, should never ha had riot police present. It was totally unjustified. Where were the riot police when the statue of Winston Churchill was being vandalized? In fact, on the following BLM protest, Boris had the statue boxed in in plywood because he didn't want to use force on the protesters. These same protesters making a police horse chain charge into a traffic light, knocking the policewoman out and off the horse. I heard she broke several ribs, yet the BBC called it a mostly peaceful protest. Climate change protesters laid down in the middle of roads and were carried away using four police officers 
to one tree hugger who was laughing at it. it seems to me the police were told to provoke the anti-lockdown protest in order to get a reaction where the media could claim we were troublemakers the climate activists are living up in the trees next to the house of parliament why are they not being removed i wonder and then there's the offer to give us photographs now my my reply to that is um, looking back on the news yes what i should have said of course is that thousands of people took the trouble to attend trafalgar square and they did that because they wanted to make their views known that they disagreed with lockdown and uh, we are certainly behind them in that opinion uh, what we were trying to get over is the one percent that's indicated in this response email 99 percent were following the rules not one percent were causing some problems it's those one percent that have got to be dealt with if the p if the demonstrations are not seen to be peaceful then effectively the good loses and this is the point that we wanted to make so we've done the fair thing we've put the response out there but yes we do recognize the great effort by all the people who attended that demonstration and i'm going to say uh, september the 26th 12 noon um, there are notices going out for people to gather again and I understand the same technique is going to be used that if there's any sign of any trouble people are going to be asked to simply sit down I would suggest there's also total silence because total silence of a very large crowd is a very very powerful tool and uh, there's also other groups um, coming together to challenge what uh, Boris's dictatorship is doing. So here we've got a People's Network and Family Picnic in Hyde Park, September the 27th of 12 noon. And locally, we understand many groups are getting together, including Totnes in Devon. So this is Market Square, 12 o'clock sat Saturday. Sorry, I've got the wrong date on that. That should be the 26th, I think, should it for Saturday. Um, um, I'll check that. Sorry, that that's uh, yeah, it would be the twenty sixth. Yes. UK column typo. There should be the twenty sixth. So that's a meet up, challenge the lockdown, learn how to hold your MPs to account, and speak out. And I'll just end that it's a lot of information coming in from our viewers as to what's going on. Uh, this was a very interesting text sent to the UK column about drive-through clinics appearing. This is uh, Debenham Community Centre. Presumably this is happening across the country, Mike. And we're also getting a lot of information by people who say under the cover of COVID, there's, there's a lot of migration going on, which we will have a look into in the coming news programmes. Excuse me. Uh, absolutely. Now, let's move on to uh, uh, devolution. Uh, and Alex, we're going to start with, with this uh, because we've had uh, a comment made to us from a Warwickshire councillor. She says, the process to set up a super authority for the whole of the West Midlands has now begun and is irreversible. Our local council has ceased to function, gone. And Warwickshire, for those watching overseas, is the county in the bottom right-hand corner of Zone G. I should explain for a moment what these are. Now, I'm well aware that these are not called Region D or Region H in many purposes, only for statistical uh, purposes, the NUTS or NUTS statistical gathering. So down there in the West Country, you're in Region K. But this does correspond with the... Um, uh, how the EU and increasingly the British government uh, governs the country. 
So um, the, the England has been split into these nine regions. Now, what's in the news, if you look at local government reporting, is that counties like Warwickshire all over England, and Cornwall has already done it, have said, why do we have districts within the county? Or if it's a, a town area, it'll also often be called a borough council if it's a sizable town. Uh, why don't we instead have so-called unitary authorities? But that process refers to within a single English county. Um, it hasn't happened in the other nations of the United Kingdom yet. Uh, what's now being talked about through this councillor and other sources, and we think Warwickshire is in the lead for trialling this for England, we think we know which counties are that the same for Scotland, is that the entire region, in this case of the West Midlands, will have a single council layer in effect. The parishes, the districts, and ultimately the counties will be no more in terms of democratic representation. And we suspect that this will also go in tandem with the unification of emergency services, police, fire and rescue and ambulance for those whole regions, which again, the West Country has seen with Cornwall, Devon and increasingly Dorset uh, being lumped in for police and fire response. It's been a 25 year agenda. It was uh, a manifesto pledge of the first Blair government. You, Brian, have reported in the past how these lines have been run through the office of the newly created Deputy Prime Minister under Blair and Prescott. Uh, it's been uh, magically uh, having leapfrogged four prime ministers in between has become another government policy under a different political party, showing the sham of the political party system, of course. Uh, we would like to put out a particular request. Right, to right hold on. Before you do that, council. before you do that, Alex, uh, let, let me just let me just add a little bit to this, because, of course, this uh, this uh, combined authority already exists. It's called uh, West Midlands Combined Authority. We've got it on screen there, building a healthier, happier, better connected and more prosperous West Midlands. Uh, and this is what they say. We are 18 local authorities and three local enterprise partnerships working together to move powers from Whitehall to the West Midlands and its local, locally elected politicians uh, who know this region best. Uh, and it has a mayor, a mayor that was elected in 2017. Uh, it's Andy Street. Uh, and he was the uh, managing director of John Lewis from 2007 to 2016. He resigned from John Lewis uh, to become mayor of the West Midlands. Uh, he is an Oxford man, studied politics, philosophy uh, and economics. Uh, and uh, well, he apparently had ambitions to be a social worker, but he was turned down for that role by Birmingham City Council. So he went off and became a managing director instead. Uh, but he has also been uh, non-executive director for the Department for Communities and Local Government, as well as a member of David Cameron's business advisory group. So this is somebody who's been pushing forward uh, with this agenda uh, quite a bit. So let's just have a look and see what they, how they say that they are structured. Um, so three sets of organizations, local authorities, local enterprise partnerships, and what they call observer organizations. Well, we're just gonna look at the local authorities section and we're just going to look at the non-constituent authorities. So they have constituent authorities, which are the mainly around Birmingham area, and non-constituent authorities. And the non-constituent authorities are this lot. So we've got Cannock Chase District Council, North, North Warwickshire Borough Council, Nuneaton, uh, Red, uh, Redditch Borough Council, Rugby Borough Council, Shropshire Council, uh, Stratford-on-Avon District Council, Tamworth Borough Council, Telford uh, and Reckon Council, and Warwickshire County Council. And Alex, uh, what seems to be uh, implied, or in fact, more than implied, stated by this uh, person who's spoken to us, is that these councils that we've just had on screen there, they are effectively no longer functioning as councils. Uh, the, the role that they have served is no longer being 
uh, run by them. It is being run at the uh, combined authority level. And that, so when we're talking about devolution, the, 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 uh, the mantra that was always sold to us was that this was bringing democracy down to the local level. But in fact, it's not bringing it down to the local level because we're seeing that local level being subsumed by this sort of mid-tier regional level. And this is the formation of a regional government. It's several birds being killed with one stone. It is getting rid of that crucial layer of the district or borough councillor who, if they're good at their job, can become a county councillor or a member of parliament and who have got name recognition in a town or an area. Uh, it's also uh, getting rid of, and I know that people are going to have a go at us for being too left or right about this, but it is a particular Conservative Party issue we have to acknowledge on one level. Uh, these are semi-prosperous towns around Birmingham, which in many cases have been in the bag for the Conservative Party for decades. And it's under Conservative management that many of them have seen massive scandals of the sexual uh, exploitation of their young people. Telford and Rekin that you mentioned there is a particularly ghastly case, but there are many others. And it seems a way of burying bad news because, as I say, this belt of prosperity around Birmingham as a greater urban area um, is in the bag for the Conservatives often. And they seem to think that they can roll over a lot of their problems. Um, you know, people always have a go at us and say, why don't you mention that the problem is the whipped party system? We agree. A new ang angle of attack is it's Britain doing this. The, the Britain is the enemy of England. Uh, we could have another debate about that when we have more time. But we've got to interpret these facts properly. It does several things with one stone. It EUifies the government of England. But the British state, some people who say this are quite right, is doing this to itself. And, you know, overseas viewers might be thinking Britain seems quite small geographically with dense populations. Why are they doing this to themselves? Well, it's removing layers of government, which if you call a district by its old name in the English shires, the hundreds, go back to Anglo-Saxon times. This is the natural level of government. And all across the continent, France, Italy, the Netherlands, there have been many attempts in the non-federal countries to get the historic province or county levels out of the way into super regions above which the only block is European wide government. That's ultimately what's going on. Yes. Brian, you any thoughts? Well, we were warning about it a long time ago. Cornwall was a classic example, as you've said, because all of a sudden those um, borough councils, uh, the local district councils were uh, subsumed into one big council. But worse than that, what happened into the Cornwall Council was that you simply had an executive team of, uh, I think it was about 12 people, it might have been slightly more than that, who made all the decisions. So more or less your elected councillors, even in the super council, were pushed to one side by having this very strong executive. It's just like the cabinet office in government, MPs don't make any decisions. You've got to be in the old boy fascist club of that internal um, organisation. So this is very, very dangerous stuff. And I found it interesting, uh, Alex, that the Southwest did get the designator K. You've said that's as part of the data collection. Uh, but of course, the K was given to the Southwest by the uh, European Union. And I was told many years ago that the K was actually for control. They were so desperate to get control of the south west of England because they could cause friction with Cornwall and the rest of England. Whether that was true or not, I don't know. Uh, but Alex, as you, as you said there, um, we are asking for uh, some uh, information from people that are watching. 
So if you can roll the uh, lines of request one by one, we're asking councillors whether you're at a district or borough or county level, has the regionalisation process, we do not mean unitary authorities within your county, we mean across the counties, has that process begin, begun in your local council? You can of course contact us through the ukcolumn.org website and choose which of us you email. Has the county council, whether that's your level or the level above you, has it come up with plans to merge together your local councils? Uh, the next question, is your county council in, and these are probably clandestine talks with others in its region. For example, if you're in Bedfordshire, are you hearing talk about Hertfordshire coming on board? Is there talk of merging police, fire and ambulance services regionally, this, with a particular emphasis on op the operation with the military that's been covered earlier in the news? Uh, because, of course, ultimately you're going to end up with regional gendarmeries at this rate with single response teams. And we're leaving Scotland on hold because it's, uh, it's got its own dynamic with the SNP government. But we're particularly interested in the smaller nations which are just on the cusp of either being governed as one block or possibly being split further. This will give us an indication of what's going to happen in England as well. So if you're in Wales or Northern Ireland, I think most particularly Wales, let us know what the talk is. Are your three Welsh police forces going to be merged into a kind of heavily Cymru uh, police Wales arrangement? Uh, is the same going to happen with your local government? Is it going to be abolished entirely? Uh, is the valleys going to be a domain? Is North Wales going to be a domain? Or is Wales going to be a single block? This will give us early pointers to what happens to the rest of the country. Thank you very much for that. Now let's uh, just quickly uh, move on to uh, to NATO. Uh, now a couple of months ago, I think it was in, uh, in June, uh, Jens Stoltenberg announced uh, that, well, he is NATO, a billion citizens and so on. But this was all about it, uh, NATO 2030 uh, and the fact that NATO uh, was, shall we say, changing focus away from, not so much away from uh, the Eastern European borders, but expanding to include the South China Sea. Um, so he's been speaking again uh, yesterday. Um, so this uh, was a speech to the uh, Centre for European Policy Analysis. Uh, and some of the things that he said were quite interesting, Alex. Using NATO more politically is valuable to send a clear and unified uh, political message. Uh, the rise of China fundamentally shifting the global balance of power, and China does not hesitate to use its economic and diplomatic weight to intimidate trading partners and private companies. Uh, and so uh, NATO focused now on the South China Sea is going to be uh, reorienting itself somewhat in that direction. Uh, but what are your thoughts on uh, on NATO considering itself a political animal? Uh, and is he fair to uh, accuse China of intimidation because um, internationally and trading partners and so on? I'm not clear that that's the case. Well, of course, there's, there's pressure that a large economy, to take the second question first, a large economy like China can put pressure uh, on other trading partners. That is very coloured language to call that intimidation unless you actually but have threatening language. Isn't that what the EU does though? Absolutely, I mean I remember the adverts of the EU, pretty racist adverts if you, you'll remember them too, of the EU uh, picturing itself as a kind of Uma Thurman-esque heroine in a catsuit replicating herself a couple of dozen times so that she could ward off these awful yellow, brown and black skinned people who were coming to throw their weight around in, in a sort of empty warehouse attack scene, a horrible uh, video that the EU put out. Now, to take the first question, the clue's in the name. NATO actually stands for something. It's not just a word to be banded about. It's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. 
it's treaty. It's a treaty-based organization. Uh, we've been hearing a lot recently about breaches of international law. Well, international law is bound up with treaties. and uh, The organization's uh, remit is set by that 1949 document that people ought to read, the North Atlantic Treaty. It doesn't give scope for political block actions and or indeed actions outside the North Atlantic zone as the clues in the name. So the idea of NATO being in the Gulf, as we've been hearing for 20 years, or in the Far East is, is a clear mistake in nomenclature. It, NATO's leadership is just having it on, ultimately not just having the people, sovereign peoples of its member states on, but also the governments that fund it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. OK, now, now let's uh, let's move on then to um, this from the French press. Uh, you'll have to translate the, the title for us. Uh, enquête sur la juge pédophile, comment nous avons démasqué Olivier Belli. So, uh, an investigation into pedophile judge, how we, that's the website, Riposte Laïque, uh, uncovered Olivier Belli. And I've uh, put a quotation in from the article in translation there. They're saying, they're obviously a small uh, free media outlet, that the French press has been deathly quiet about their unmasking of a judicial couple in Dijon, eastern France, offering their 12-year-old daughter online for sex. And in fact, the wife of this judge is like him, uh, also a judge. Uh, unlike him, she doesn't do children's cases. Olivier Bailey, the father of this girl who was being touted, is in fact a juge aux enfants, a family court judge, or as the French literally puts it, a judge in children's cases, a judge for children. So you couldn't get more horrible than that. Uh, he has been suspended. Uh, this all happened in June, that the, the website got wind of it. Uh, the wife is still at the Grand Tribunal of Dijon in eastern France, still got her job. There's been some machinations because uh, over here on the continent, women are required for formal purposes like professional names to keep their maiden names, their unmarried names through life. And so uh, Mrs. Bailey is supposed to use her maiden name, uh, Vigeur, I think was the, the surname in question, for her professional activities. But she had this optional line, Spouse of Bailey, added. Uh, to her index in the register of judges and went by just the shortened name in being, giving interviews so that she would not immediately appear to be his husband. Now, that's particularly germane when the question is, were they acting as a couple in touting their daughter for sex on what's, what's disgustingly called a libertine internet sex? But the long and the short of it is a French children's judge is offering his own child for sex and the French press is not interested. Uh, well, we, we know that these uh, despicable things are going on and you've mentioned the fact the press are not interested. I'm going to come back with the gentleman that I met yesterday talking about uh, severe bullying of children to the point of suicide in schools. And uh, what, what, uh, what was he telling us? Of course, that the press weren't interested. We're going to do more work on that particular subject in due course. But uh, if these are the quality of the people who are running the country, whether it's uh, France or UK, we know that we're in dire straits. Well, let's end on subject of what our viewers think. And another interesting email that came in here, um, it was subject line was who is behind it? Who's behind it all suggestion. So it's a suggestion as to who is behind it all. all. And the person said, I suggest the World Economic Forum and Prince Charles, who understand met at Dover, Davos recently, Agenda 21, Agenda 2020. And, Should be 2030. Uh, well, that's what the article, the email said, Mike. So Agenda 21, Agenda 2020, an economic reset due to debt 
to mounting created before COVID-19. The UN is also behind it. Now, I was interested in this email because we see a lot of people at the moment who realise something's badly wrong. They're searching for who's behind it. So I'm just going to give you my reply, and I'm very happy for both Alex and Mike to respond to this because they haven't seen this. But this is my thoughts in return. UK Column often asks the question as to who is behind it, the policy and what's happening, to prompt people to think about what the possibilities may be. Many people are now awake to the troubles around them, but they're trying to fight an enemy that they still can't properly see, identify or explain. I certainly agree with your suggestion that the World Economic Forum and the UN are involved. Davos is a vehicle for these and others to operate and influence. But these are organisations, Prince Charles is a person, and yes, he certainly seems to be involved. Agenda 2020, 21 and 2031 are policy initiatives with people and organisations involved in driving them. We must remember that none of this can operate without the money power behind it. And I went on with this little bit. So lifting the lid, we nearly... We need to clearly separate and identify all these things, policy, organisations, people and structural hierarchy, hierarchy to lead us to those holding the influence, power and control. And so getting an informed, evidenced idea as to who is in ultimate control. That's what we need to know, how this system works and who holds the ultimate power. The other point is that we cannot label individuals simply because they work in an organisation that we can be we can evidence as being up to no good. This is a dangerous and false logic where we can alienate good people and those on the wrong side who are starting to come good. We need to win people from the bad side and so we don't want to alienate them all. And I'll just end here. A good approach for all of us is to work to understand the malicious policy and research identify and expose the structure and hierarchy of the controlling organisations and then to look to do the same for the controlling leaders, the people. Your email has been very useful in helping me to get this subject to into a simple form and I will report this on the UK column news today. So perhaps Alex I could just pass that over to you initially and you can be as ruthless as you like, but I try to simplify this business that, to identify the enemy. We need to be very um, logical in, in how we approach evidence uh, to get to the root of who's driving Boris Johnson. We know Boris isn't running the country, so who is, how do we get there? I think the key words in what you replied there, Brian, are structure and hierarchy. Now, when we talk about structure and hierarchy, we're by definition no longer talking about a single human organized religion or a single human corporation. We're talking about a replicable model, perhaps not a very imaginative one. It won't change its essential uh, core over time, but it may change appearance. Uh, David Scott often reports on how uh, north of the border, the SNP government is, re is referred to as the cult. Now, this is only half tongue in cheek because the best whistleblowers on serious high finance, Ronald Bernard and his ilk, talk about there being a cult, and no, it is not to be, to be compared with any human religion, organized religion, but a cult, you could call satanic or evil, within certain financial institutions and bloodlines. Right? So you've got at the very core often a cult which has religious or spiritual 
ideas of why to suppress or, or, or to, to milk mankind. But very soon after you fl fan out from that into the visible heads of organisations that UK column viewers do not like, these, these heads of the organisations may not often be aware, certain people who fulfil that office, that they are serving a cult layer above them. It may to them simply be what they regard as good business practice or making money. Uh, the attitudes behind these uh, uh, policies that we keep talking about, if they're anti-human, then by definition, then the core of the enemy that we're facing is not a human organisation, but something beyond humanity. I don't know whether you want to add to that, Mike. Um, well, no. You summed no. it up perfectly. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, we'll leave it there. So a big thank you again to all of our supporters and subscribers. And also a big thank you to people who are now spreading UK Column News and encouraging other people to view UK Column News. And uh, our support is there for everybody who is taking peaceful action to challenge the government over their clear lies over this uh, false pandemic which is causing so much suffering in UK. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back at same time on Friday. Bye-bye.